my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord Dex. Dex. Hidden. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. Trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. The greatest trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Really on top of schedule today, Adam. We're, uh, we are recording this like days before it comes out. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, Paramount probably made a lot of people's days by dropping two episodes at once, but Wendy's Day, not made. <laughs> Wendy's Week ruined. Paramount doesn't think of Wendy. They don't care. They should. They fucking better. I know. So here we are, first thing in the morning, giving the maximum amount of time to turn this edit. And it's going to sound great. I doubt any FOD will tell the difference. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's going to sound a little unusual. I don't know if, I don't know if it's coming across in the timber of my voice. Is it timber or timber? But I'm uh, a little bit under the weather post our voyage to the other side of the pond for uh for the london podcast festival oh yeah you think uh something about being on a plane that long and uh being in a different country among thousands of people i think that was a factor maybe i don't know i'm feeling great is this gonna fall on me eventually well we took different airplanes home and I also had first night back where my baby was waking up every hour because to him it was not supposed to be nighttime. I'm just going to ask, like, this baby thing doesn't seem to be going great. <laughs> it's it's going great. I love this little guy. He just, you know. For future Jerome listening, you're really harming daddy's wellness right now. Yeah, if you could go back in the past and... um <laughs> Somehow persuade baby Darone, the boy, to not have jet lag. That would be great. Yeah. Darone, back to the futures, you makes out with your wife. Oh, (laughs) why is everything so edible with you all the time? Oh, God. Well, you sound great, Ben. You don't sound sick. You, You look like shit, but you sound fine. Yeah. Many people have said that. Mm hmm. I think this will be the first record to hit the airwaves since we got back from London Podcast Festival. You want to say a few things about that? It was so fun. Uh, you yeah. know, we had uh, more nerves for that show than we've had for some other live shows just because it felt like a really big deal to be in another entire part of the world. Can I admit something to you? Mm. I had zero nerves whatsoever. <laughs> zero nerves. Well, that's because you were like delirious because you did the totally insane 36-hour turnaround where... Did you have any jet lag at all, by the way? Did you like... Yeah. Okay. I did. I, I went to bed every night at like three or four in the morning. Like, it was like that. But okay. I was fine. I was fine the entire trip until I'm on the plane home. And there's five hours left of that fucking 12-hour flight. And I'm like, you know, 24 hours of air travel in a four-day span, that's just too much. (laughs) And I love being on planes. I love being in airports. I love the system of travel. I really started to feel it toward the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. Took a lot out of me. But it was worth it for that show. It was one of my favorite shows I think we've ever done. Yeah. To the extent that I remember any of it, which (laughs) I barely do. 
I didn't remember that we got a standing ovation, but our friend uh, Jeremy Burge, formerly of Emojipedia, sent a video from the crowd. And when we finished that show, people stood up and it wasn't like to, to get out of there as quickly as possible. They weren't trying to beat the traffic. The reason I didn't see it at the time was because I'd been keeping my stage water in a mug next to my seat. Uh-huh. And when I got up, when the show was over and turned around, I kicked that mug <laughs> clear across the stage, spraying water everywhere. I was horrified. So that was all I could see at the end of the show was the mess I'd made. This is the first I'm hearing of that. Yeah. It happened, and then I apologized to John outside the stage door. I was like, I made a great big mess out there. I know you're turning the stage for the next show. Yeah. I'm really sorry. <laughs> he made it seem okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if we're invited back next year. We sure will. Thanks to everybody in the UK and uh, further afield who came to that show. That was yeah. a little slice of heaven. Yeah, they really made it feel great. We even had some domestic friends of DeSoto that flew over to England and saw that show, which is crazy to me. It's crazy every time we meet an FOD who is gone any longer than the bare minimum. Like, <laughs> just leaving the house for a Greatest Gen show feels like an ordeal, and yet so many do. Yeah, yeah. Really grateful for him. It was a huge amount of fun. Well, uh, Adam, you know what else is a huge amount of fun is the Star Trek program Lower Decks. Do you want to get into the episode today? Nothing more fun than a recording pod early in the morning. Yeah. It's uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 3, in the cradle of Vexilon. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Unknown. Black alert. Unknown. Black alert. Adam, unlike me, this episode does not have a cold. Open, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Wonder how you make a decision like that. Yeah, it seems like a big decision that spans, you know, all of space and time, as it were. Like It is the format of TV to have that. Yeah. But, like, I've been watching, uh, re-watching Seinfeld lately, and I've gotten to the seasons where they stop having Jerry doing a bit of stand-up at the beginning of an episode. Mm-hmm. Like at some point in Seinfeld, they were like, okay, no longer will he be doing some material and then you'll see all of the events that led him to the, you know, diamond hard observations of that material in, in the episode. Like that was the format for like the first four or five seasons of that show, but then they abandoned it and then it's just like George and Jerry yeah. standing in front of a deli, you know, watching people drive by and, you know, talking about Superman or whatever. Yeah, this also coincides with how tack sharp and amazingly HD the episodes become <laughs> later on. Yeah. It's always really impressed me. So, uh, yeah, they did not do a coldie on this one. Instead, we, we get the title sequence and then we get a captain's log explaining that we are at the ancient ring world of Corisonia, which was built by a different ancienter species than currently resides there. Yeah. And uh, it's run by Vexilon, a non-monomaniacal robot intelligence. Vexilon seems cool. And unlike so many other situations in Star Trek where there is some sort of like religious component or malevolent force, 
involved. Everyone here seems pretty cool with each other. No kids are getting sacrificed to Vexalon. I mean, no kids at all. <laughs> Makes it seem really great. Yeah. Do you think that that's just because nobody's doing it on Coruscant because everybody is so badly in need of uh, tweezing out those eyebrows that nobody's really in the mood? Yeah. Those brows are heavy duty. <laughs> I got a, uh, a shave and a haircut ahead of our Atlanta show recently. And my uh -huh. barber was like, hey, do you want me to clean up those brows? And I was like, I don't think I've ever had my brows attended to in any way. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. My wife loves plucking my brows. Whoa, really? <laughs> She's like, uh, yeah, she likes getting in there. Like, it's something she likes to do. I don't ask for it. Wow. And I'll be damned if I'm going to turn her down. I don't know what I'm doing in there. Oh, yeah. To deprive your wife of a pleasure of that kind would be very deleterious to your relationship. Would be to deprive my wife of any pleasure I'm <laughs> able to give her. <laughs> hey, at least you can find the eyebrow hairs. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this computer system, Vexelon, it's like the, the computer version of where... You're old and you forget where you put your keys and you've got like the uh, the inconvenient forgetfulness of old age. Like right. these are weird like weather anomaly things and like events to the geography that are uh, inconvenient, but not horrible. Right. But enough where you worry about Grandpa Vexelon a little bit were you to, to leave him alone for a while. This is sort of what the Monty Markham character was dreaming about in that episode of DS9. Like, what if the weather wasn't perfect? Yeah. Then what would these fuckers do? <laughs> I think about the opinions of Monty Markham characters quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, what these people need is some computer assistance from Starfleet and, um, you know, presumably a large supply of tweezers. So you want to use tongs? It's just Freeman and Ransom walking through the grounds of this uh, facility with them. And uh, I was really sad that uh, Big Teeth Ransom continuity has not been preserved. I know. I felt the same way. I really uh, punched in and enhanced on his face and mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's just normal Ransom. He has teeth bones and he must speak. Yeah. <laughs> What he speaks about during his walking tour of Corisonia is an art installation there. Is he a dumb that is acting smart around smart people, or does he truly have art crit bona fides? I mean, the way he slams some of their finest art and then also slams some of their worst art is... yeah. I kind of got, like, American Psycho vibes off of it. Like, <laughs> he describes these sculptures the way uh, you might describe a Huey Lewis album. Yeah. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. I hadn't thought that until you mentioned it, but yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, the joke is that both their best and worst statues are the same. Is that the criticism that the show is making? Of art in general? <laughs> um, Lower Decks is anti-art, isn't it? No, I think when in doubt, Ransom is the butt of the joke. So I'm, okay. I'm going to go ahead and say Ransom has sophisticated terminology for reviewing art, but his taste sucks. 
It's a real glimpse of a possible future because when Vexelon controls for the needs of the population, guess what? The population's freed up to uh, make good art and recreate. Or bad art, you know, like whichever they want. Chill the most? Yeah. It's nice. It seems possible with the Vexelon safety net. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really nice. But, you know, we get another object lesson in just how messed up Vexelon is when they arrive at the actual control center with the giant screen and uh, Vexelon offers them iced tea Mm. and makes hot tea. Ouch. Yeah. You order iced tea pretty much every time the two of us have lunch together. Yeah, I like it. You get this in countries that aren't the United States of America, like the hot beverage served in a clear glass. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem to be a thing around here, but we were just in Europe and I got a hot chai in like a clear water glass looking thing. Whoa. Was there it's a an handle? unexpected shot. No. Wow. Very unexpected. How did they, did they give you like a pot holder to pick it up with? No, no. This was Dishoom. This is one of the great places in London. They gave me a, a chai hot <laughs> in a clear glass that was also hot. Dishoom was really good. Yeah. Darone did not care for the tangerine chicken. Too spicy for him. Damn. Well, hopefully he gets there eventually. I fucked up, man. I tasted that chicken and I was like, this chicken is good. And it's got a little bit of pepperiness to it, but it's not crazy spicy. So let's cut some up and give it to the baby. And then like I had done that and then I realized that it was one of those slow heats that like shows uh-huh. up in your mouth like uh-huh. many moments after you've you've swallowed the chicken. Uh-huh. And then I'm like out walking around on the sidewalk with a very upset baby who's never had really spicy Indian food before. You know what? I bet when you were a baby, your parents fed you like crazy food all the time. That's how you developed this great palate you've got. Darone's got to learn. I, I need to teach him. I need to teach him. Yeah. What, what did you? You are teaching him. You too have a great palate. What did your parents do? Not that. <laughs> we were a pizza on Friday night household and just regular home cooked dinner every other night. Like, uh, I feel like chicken tonight, like chicken, chicken tonight. Chicken tonight. You know? <laughs> Can't beat my mom's stroganoff, though. It's more like nature for you, it's nurture for me. Yeah, maybe it is. Ben, this Vexelon uh, reminded me a lot of you because uh, <laughs> it is both conscious and self conscious. <laughs> in in two big helpings. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. I've been fine for millennia, but now I can't even control my monsoon seasons. It feels terrible about this this hot tea situation and about everything else it's been doing. Yeah, all of the weather mess-ups just uh, eating away at Vexelon. And uh, Freeman, full of hubris, cites her credentials as having minored in ancient technology or something like that, rolls up her sleeves Mariner-like and gets to work on Vexelon. Sheer fucking hubris. You hate to see this. Like, you have an entire crew of professionals who are good at this kind of work. But Freeman does it herself, and that's the problem. Yeah. And she starts doing a uh, an analysis of what could be causing the problem. And we smash cut over to Lieutenant Boimler, who is leading his first away mission over on a different part of Corasonia. And uh, what they're doing is upgrading the first contact era power relay that the Federation installed on this planet. Not a planet. It's a ring world. It's like the thing in Halo. 
yeah, I mean, the, the Halo vibes are absolutely here. Were you a big Halo person? I played the first one on uh, my friend's Xbox. I've never owned an Xbox, so I've never played yeah. all through all of the games. I was very Halo curious, and I always wished... Because it was like originally supposed to be like for the Macintosh. Like there was totally a like a Macworld Expo where they showed off some new mm-hmm. like Power Mac G3 and the amazing graphical capabilities it was going to have by showing like in-game footage of Halo. And then before the game was able to be released, Microsoft bought the company that made it and made it an Xbox exclusive. And I was mad. <laughs> I remember just a lot of hours in college spent playing multiplayer, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that gun that shoots the, like, pink crystals that then, like, pop inside your birdie. Yeah. Crystals! Yeah, none of that here. The greatest trick is yet to come. What is your understanding of the working relationship between T. Lynn and Boimler here? So T. Lynn is provisionally a lieutenant and uh-huh. is there to... Do sciencey shit if any sciencey shit pops up, but also does not seem to be like leading the mission. It seems like Boimler has been given command of the mission. Yeah, but in a strange way, T. Lynn is there to observe and comment. Why'd you put her in charge? You better just start dealing with it, Hudson. And eventually, like, give advice down the road. Right. But she's very hands off. Yeah, initially she is. She's she's not impressed that. Boimler is nervous about being boss Boimler. Yeah. Have you completed your confidence boosting ritual? Oh, that's not what I was doing. The moment in life where you step from being an underling to supervising people is intense. Like, I I remember when I was early in my career as a filmmaker, I would occasionally land a job directing a music video. And I would go from having, like, the previous week being, like, the lowest PA on the totem pole on, like, a AOL commercial or something and then I'm directing a music video and like none of my videos are very big but I would go from being a total peon to like having 30 people working for me yeah and it does make your ears pop like knowing how to marshal a bunch of people toward a goal is like not something that comes naturally to everyone and Boimler is self-conscious about not being a bad boss and wants to be good at this and, and like T. Lynn citing the statistics about ensigns being at a much higher likelihood of death or dismemberment when they're being led by a green boss uh, does not help him. Death? Yes, and or dismemberment. No, which really puts his team of three ensigns in the crosshairs here. We got Taylor the Catman, Big Murph, the, <laughs> the Blue Man, the Blue Man, Tin Man, and Meredith the Human. If I was to cosplay, I think Big Murph might be a, a cosplay that I would like to do. So much of this mission is about the need for physical strength to do it. Big Murph is right there. I know. When you've got a Big Murph on your team, you got to get him in there. And that's to say nothing about the Cat Man, yeah. who also seems very strong. And if a big portion of the mission was about falling off of a high place but landing on your feet every time, the yeah. cat man could, could come right in and do that. Boimler yeah. doesn't need to demonstrate. Yeah. The dangers are apparent in this scene because to not disconnect these power cells and move them in a careful way would mean a massive explosion that would destroy the building and everyone in it. So yeah. there are the stakes. 
Bad design for a power relay, if you ask me. Sounds yeah. dangerous as fart. Back on the Cerritos, the remaining three of the bunk bed crew check out the Anomaly Storage Room. This is a place, you know, in some work environments, your badge doesn't let you into all the places. Oh, now, yeah. since their promotion, they're allowed into a place like this. And uh, it's full of all of the bar trivia items that you love on a Lower Decks episode, including the Betazoid gift box. And yeah. boy, oh boy, does he have a very foul mouth. Eat a bag of board, d- motherfucker. I didn't know that Dr. Ta'ana came in here. He's a foul mouth and a very long tongue. Yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking that this uh, this Betazoid gift box probably performs staggeringly good cunnilingus. I mean, we've both heard of chowing box, <laughs> but this box chows you. Rejoice! <laughs> in anomaly storage room, box chow you. <laughs> what a country. <laughs> Uh, the other notable uh, anomalies in there are a inner light device and the Wadi game that, uh, you know, everybody says chula when you do well at. Oh, hell yeah. The one with like the pastel triangles and the little girl doing hopscotch. Doesn't seem like any clon pigs were included in the box when they loaded this Wadi game on the board of the ship, though. Did you ever know the name of this game? They call it the Wadi Chula game. Uh-huh. We've always called it Al Moraine. Right. I'm sure that Lower Decks has access to more, like, accurate canonical information than we do. Yeah, I mean, and it's just out there. It's not even in a case. It's just, like, on top of a pile of other boxes. Yeah, what hoarders are maintaining this room, by the way? like Bad storage room. There's no shelving or labels or anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you must have hated this. <laughs> I mean, we're not in here very long before they get called away on their task for the day. That is the inspection of thousands of isolinear chips by hand, individually, in the isolinear chip junction room. Yeah. Lieutenant Dirk gives them this totally insane job where some of these isolinear chips are going to be very hot. Which is why it needs to be done by hand. The room occasionally fills with poisonous gas, so they have to have respirators in there with them. And it's just like a totally monotonous, you know, scrubbing the bathroom with toothbrushes kind of job. And hazing is what Mariner immediately identifies this as. This is feeling pretty ensign Yeah, especially because... Uh, I don't know. I got this vibe from Lieutenant Dirk from Jump because he had that uh, Kurtwood Smith forehead, you know? <laughs> Whenever you see a Kurtwood Smith forehead in a television show or a movie, I think you got to suspect something a foul is afoot. Yeah, which is sad, right? Like, because Kurtwood Smith's probably a nice guy in real life, but... Not all foreheads, right? Well, I think he's just so effectively made us associate that forehead with a certain kind of irascible hostility over the course of his illustrious career as a Hollywood that guy that uh, everybody else that has that forehead kind of tarred with the Kurtwood Smith brush. I mean, that's a pretty tall and wide brush. (laughs) Also, Billups' ferret is loose. So put a pin in that. Yeah, and we've seen the ferret a couple of times. We saw it, you know, hiding in a box with a batleth in the storage room. It's around. So report to him if it bites you. That's lots in here. <laughs> so meanwhile, down on the ring world, Freeman arrives at the 
realization that the the reason Vexilon is glitching is that its software hasn't been updated in six million years. Are you a update the software the moment you get the notification type of person? I didn't used to be, but I read a very persuasive article a couple of years ago about how almost always that is a software update that includes fixes for pretty important security things. And I kind of became a an update immediately believer. Except, like, for me, the experience of using video editing software, like, you'd never want to update, especially Adobe products, I would say. You'd never want to update the software on that for fear of of them breaking projects that you have open already or whatever. Like, no thanks. Like... <laughs> My my experience as a as a video editor made me want to wait. Yeah, I think that it's different for me with like the operating system and you know like my phone's operating system especially. Yeah, I want I want to get that updated. I don't want any zero days. Just how many zero days do you think Vexilon has? Over six million years, it's gonna be like hundreds of thousands of zero days in there. But Freeman recognizes that Vexilon requires this update and is a. Person who waits no longer than six million years in order to run it. <laughs> Hang tight. I'll get you caught up with this update and it should clear things right up. After hitting the button, the clouds outside turn solid and start falling from the sky. Yeah. Seems like a bad sign. Sky is literally falling. We see a bunch of different scenes of people trying to engage in their artwork and poetry on this uh, ring world. You know, suddenly finding their their world getting even more dangerous than it already was. And Boimler, meanwhile, is like trying to delegate this uh, very dangerous job of deinstalling all of these power relay things. And then sort of like claws back the delegation when T-Lin reminds him of how risky this is. And so he's like trying to demonstrate now like how you pull these batteries out of this machine. I read this as Boimler being a tryhard instead of Boimler wanting to save the lives of the people working under him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's blurry in a lot of this episode because of who he is and who he's been for three and some odd seasons up until now. Yeah, it's uh, elucidated a little bit better later on in the episode, like what exactly is stressing him out. Mm -hmm. But I didn't feel like they set it up as a like, the mystery intention of these scenes is why is Boimler so stressed? Because Boimler is always stressed. Yeah, exactly. It does not seem unusual here that this is happening. <laughs> hey, uh, Cheaters don't deserve nothing in Latinum. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I going to have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? 
Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Up on the ship, the remaining betas have finished with all of these chips, and they're like, yeah, like, we didn't find the one chip that you said was bugging, so I don't know what you want, Lieutenant Dirkhead. And he's like, oh, did you check these other ones? And he pushes a button and reveals that there's, in fact, double the number of chips that they were promised. 
you know, hiding behind all of the ones that they already tested, which sort of breaks continuity because part of the thing was like Lancelot the ferret kept jumping out from behind panels and like knocking stuff down in there. Right. And he didn't see all those other chips behind the panels. Oh, this second layer is so discouraging. Yeah. It pretty much confirms what Mariner had suspected is that this is a jam up and that they're being hazed. It's also going to be a harder job because these chips are hotter Mm. And you got to use the little tongs to handle them. Which makes it twice as hard. If Lancelot the Ferret has been in there, does Lancelot the Ferret have a little rebreather also for when the gas comes in? Great question. I mean, Lancelot's a city ferret with sturdy pads Mm -hmm. on his feet to deal with all that heat, huh? (laughs) Must be, yeah. So yeah, they, instead of scanning these chips, walk out into the hallway and Mariner has an idea for getting back at Lieutenant Dirk. We don't get to hear that idea because we're back on Coruscant next, where the weather is going bonkers. And Freeman, in a very Freeman kind of way, downplays how bad the situation is, <laughs> and especially whose fault it might be. The things that are happening seem super lethal. Like, we're not seeing Coruscantians get squished by rocks, but they're getting close to being squished by rocks, and there's like lava coming up out of the ground and stuff. It seems like a lot of Coruscantians probably died this day, right? It seems like there is a body count to the planet well before Freeman decides to call up Billups and have him beam down to help. But Billups is just in no mood because he's so sad about Lancelot. Yeah. Once he's down there, he has advice, but Freeman doesn't really take it. Yeah. She does not step out of the way and let a more capable engineer finish the job. She, you know, gets under the hood of the computer terminal and like tries to put it into safe mode and accidentally reboots Vexelon into regenesis mode. And I guess this is like the startup, like where you select what language you want the operating system to run in and like which Wi-Fi network you'll be using primarily. But it also means it's going to like remake the landscape of uh, Coruscantia to prepare it for its brand new ownership. Didn't you like the the internal logic of this situation? Like, reformatting a computer is reformatting a planet in this mm-hmm. case? Or, yeah. or more specifically, like, the Ring Society that has been developed there. Yeah. It seems like, at this point, Freeman should be in a staggering amount of trouble with the Federation. Yeah. For having put one of the Federation, like, an entire world's worth of Federation citizens in this much risk. Yeah, it's pretty bad at this point. Yeah. Over where Boimler is, he has narrowly avoided dying many, many times doing all the work himself. And he's almost done with his task, which is great, except that when Freeman radios him to ask him to reinstall all those power cells the way they were before, Boimler gets back to work himself again. Solo de-retrofitting the thing that he just retrofitted. You got a big Murph! (laughs) that guy's got huge broad shoulders look at him he's so strong looking you think there was an issue with another blue murph on an animated star trek show Mm. this one's big murph yeah the other one is a the melanoid slime worm murph right (laughs) little murph baby murph (laughs) oh he just keeps going doesn't he is this what little murph turns into Oh. Once he goes through uh, melanoid puberty? Maybe so. I, don't, I haven't read up on melanoid life stages. 
how gross would Murph be, Lil Murph, I mean, if like a big part of his uh, his evolution is like body hair, Ugh. like body hair on that that it's wet see through. Yeah, that's not good, right? That's going to be an awkward phase. Yeah, yeah, that's that's bad. Back on the Cerritos, we're back in the anomaly storage room, and here's where we learn more about Mariners. Big plan, right? To get back at uh, Kurtwood Smith. Mm-hmm. They're going to set a trap. This is a classic prank. Like the the rig up something that you trip over upon walking into the room. Like, yeah. you know, people have done this with like putting a bucket of water at the top of a slightly ajar door. They're home aloneing here. Yeah, absolutely. I did this in college. I, I set up a uh, can of silly string to spray in the face of people entering my dorm room one time, and all my all three of my roommates got got by this. Fantastic. Did you ever wonder why your, your college years went so poorly, socially? <laughs> we were in the middle of a prank war. This was, this was retaliation. Oh, okay. It was open prank war, and it wasn't just like a personal war? No. Okay. It wasn't just me being needlessly cruel to my roommates. You just don't turn it off! That doesn't sound like you. They all thought it was great. I would be... Very upset to have silly string sprayed in my eyes if I weren't expecting it. <laughs> and even if I were. Yeah. But they had senses of humor and stuff, you know? Yeah, that's that's not me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so the plan is they're going to trap Lieutenant Dirk in the Wadi game with the Betazoid box. And uh, he'll have to, you know, go through the whole game while the, the this Betazoid box is a real asshole. It's going to be a dick to him the entire yeah. time. Yeah. So great prank. They've set it up. They're walking down the hallway, high-fiving each other. And they run right into Lieutenant Dirk. <gasps> oh, hey. Done already? <laughs> totally. Lieutenant Dirk has a darkness that we have not seen up until now. There's a reason for the isolinear chip season in his mind, and that is that every time he gets near the Wadi Chula game, he is reminded, haunted even, of the time where he was trapped inside one, unable to break free because the Wadi game is annoying and (laughs) the Wadis are smart, smarter than a kid, it turns out. I don't know why the scientists keep making them. And the isolinear chip room is near the anomaly storage room. It's a place he can't work comfortably. This is why he delegated that task to them. It's not a prank. No, and he's super appreciative. Like, he would have had to be uncomfortably close to that thing, and he's just, like, outpouring how much he respects these three lieutenant junior grades for having taken one on the chin and done a a really boring job on his behalf. Let me ask you something. Are all... Wadi Chula games the same? And follow-up question, is Lieutenant Dirk dumb? Because (laughs) I totally understand being a kid, not being able to get out of the Wadi Chula game, but you're a man, Lieutenant Dirk. Like, you should be able to solve it, right? Well, that's the thing, Adam. What happened to him as a kid is haunting him now. So whether or not, you know, he he was too dumb as a kid to figure it out. You're talking about trauma. Yeah. Okay. His amygdala doesn't know that he's not a kid anymore. But his Miglimo <laughs> does know all about this. Yeah. 
So Dr. McGlimo does not help, does he? No. Dr. McGlimo says acceptance is the road to healing. I mean, McGlimo can't snap his fingers. It's it's a path that Dirk has to go down. It's true. Yeah. Anyways, uh, they realize that they've made a terrible error. They've basically set a situation up where they are going to brutally re-traumatize somebody who was not, in fact, hazing them. And Mariner thinks quick and asks him to tell her about his favorite genre of music, Tellerite slop jazz. You've rambled about that at length before. They walk off down the hall and she, like, gets uh, Rutherford and Tendy to do the rest of the of the job while she distracts him. Go get all those remaining chips scanned and disassemble the prank. I mean, it's one of the most distracting and time-consuming things you can do to a man is uh, ask them about their weird genre music interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mariner really knows what she's doing. <laughs> Would you look at that? Back on the planet, T-Lynn kind of boils over and gets totally sick of Boimler's bullshit. She reminds Boimler that this team are Starfleet officers who accepted the risks of their jobs. And this is when Boimler kind of confesses that it's not that he's worried about them dying per se, but that it doesn't feel like he has earned the authority to command them to do things that might lead to those deaths. And she counters with a sort of, you know, two-sided, like, they deserve the trust that you need to extend them, and also they're all going to die if you don't extend them that trust. How satisfied are you in Boimler's decision here, given that? Like, it doesn't feel like much of a decision at all. Yeah, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? The stakes are too high for him to dig his heels in any further. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes that's what it takes for for someone to change, you know? Seeing that they've gotten to the absolute limit of their recalcitrance. It hits a lot harder for a character like t to do something that makes someone else feel better. Yeah. You know? And she's very persuasive here. It made me wonder why she has access to personnel files and mission logs <laughs> At her rank, like that seems pretty above her station, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she maybe like uh, discovered that she'd been accidentally given access to McLemo's files or something like that. Yeah, they thoroughly describe your strengths and shortcomings. Well, up on the Cerritos, the team is uh, hard at work. Tendi is like dual wielding scanners, just burning through all these spicy hot isolinear chips. Rutherford. A little bit less effective, goes into the room and immediately stumbles into the exact trap they just set. Oh man, am I in the game? Move along home. But he's so capable as an engineer that like, he basically does a speed run through the move along home game and does it in record time. Very glad that we got to see a little bit of that game. Yeah. Definitely Lower Decks has reminded us of the Move Along Home game before, but really great that we actually got to go visit it. And um, Mariner is stalling by, you know, getting extra sloppy with Lieutenant Dirk. Uh, This isn't boring, is it? Boring? Why? How could a musical lecture be boring? It looks like they're going to be, like, getting back to his apartment too early for their little leisure demand to to work. He's going to catch them having tried to prank him. With that Wadi Chula game. Except what we didn't factor in was Lieutenant Kurtwood Smith making a mistake of his own, right? Yeah. He doesn't need to go back to his quarters. In fact, he uh, his appointment with 
the good Dr. McGlemo is supposed to happen in McGlemo's office, where therapy is usually conducted. I mean... They're not in the middle of a pandemic. He doesn't have to do it over Zoom. I question the uh, quality of the therapy taking place. <laughs> really. I love that the box gets interlighted at the end of the prank. I love that, too. Was that an entire simulated <laughs> life? Sorry about that. That's a really brutal one-two prank, to go through the Move Along home game and then get interlighted just when you think you're out in the clear. Is the absurdity of that better in your imagination, or would it be fun to go into that world and see Betazoid gift box age and wither and, like, get married <laughs> and have weird, like, half Betazoid gift box babies with, with someone on the planet. Like, it seems like there are so many comedic potentials there mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. like, I wanted to see a little bit of it, but maybe it's just better inside. How would the Betazoid gift box wear a big straw hat to protect it from the brightening solar radiation of I know. the inner light planet star? Yeah. Who are the Betazoid gift box friends that he makes <laughs> over a lifetime? Yeah. And then watches die. What instrument does the Betazoid gift box pick up and then gets to keep at the end because there's one example of it inside the probe? When Betazoid gift box dies, do you put the Betazoid gift box into a larger box and then put it in the ground? <laughs> or can you just bury the box? It seems wasteful. Mm. Do you think if the Betazoid gift box ever met a lady Betazoid gift box that played a different instrument he could play along with her. <laughs> How would they get to the, the Jeffries tubes for those great acoustics? Holy shit. I think you just unlocked the thing with me that I couldn't get over, which was like, I think when you're inner lighted, you're taken to a place with compatible physical relationship potential, right? So like right. Betazoid gift box is transported to a world full of Betazoid gift boxes. <laughs> Launching Betazoid gift box rocket ships, right? Right, right. It's Betazoid gift boxes all the way down. Yeah. And those Betazoid gift boxes, fuck. <laughs> Back on Coruscantia. <laughs> the team has worked together, finally. And now the power's back on, which is great. Freeman works at the computer station and orders Vexilon to stand down from the planetary formatting. Vexilon's happy to do this. Vexilon doesn't want to hurt anyone. No. This Regenesis is going to take a second to shut down, though. And as that process begins, Boimler realizes that the power core that they've been trying to retrofit is heating up. And he orders everybody else to get to a safe distance so that he can be the one to shut it down when the Regenesis ends. A little heroic turn for Bradward Boimler. Yeah. And that building blows big. Yeah. Doesn't it? Michael Bay-level explosion to this thing, and Boimler gets blown the fuck off this mortal coil. Conveniently, his charred body rests at the feet of Taylor the Catman, and uh, he barfs pretty big at the sight of it. Yeah, but that's just a thing cats do, you know? Like, he might have eaten some grass earlier. God. What a terrible roommate the cat man would be on the <laughs> ship. Because you know the Cerritos is carpeted. Yeah. Oh, man. Do not give the top bunk to the cat man. God. And then your room smells like litter <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Actually, they're probably beaming the cat turds out of the catman, right? 
Do they beam the cat barfs out of the catman? And what about the hairballs? Too many questions to answer here. Yeah. <laughs> then we go into the afterlife, a place we've only really heard about from shacks. Yeah. We wake up in the Twin Peaks room with Boimler, and there's that black mountain outside where uh, you're supposed to fight the apparitions of your father. <laughs> and there's that koala. Uh, hi? Do we know what the koala says in reverse? Like, I feel like that's going to be a fun Easter egg there. Oh, is that is that the thing? Is it's it's a uh... It's speaking in reverse, isn't it? Oh. And it's saying Paul's not dead? That would be great. That's got to <laughs> be it, right? Boimler's not dead, maybe? It's not your time, Bradford Boimler. I am excited to listen to this episode where Wendy has dropped that in. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the amazing thing is we'll find out when everybody else does. Yeah, yeah. But Boimler wakes up. He's alive, thanks to Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. Yeah, she saved him-ish. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, I can't believe that worked. You know, he gets uh, the slap on the back for saving the day. He's all charred and burnt up. Mission accomplished, Ben. The, the big takeaway here is that dying is just a part of being in Starfleet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it could happen to you many, many times over the course of your career. Well, yeah, now that he's, like, moving up in the ranks, the likelihood of him coming back from death only increases, right? It's true. So uh, he was the only fatality of the mission. Good for him. We end with a little scene of uh, the other three drinking at the end of their day, having accomplished their mission, finding the, the one bum isolator chip and preventing Lieutenant Dirk from being re-traumatized. And then we like, you know, camera pulls back and it turns out Lieutenant Dirk is sitting there with Ransom and they, uh, they toast the blue drink of needless cruelty to the fact that they were in fact hazing the entire time. How about that? What a reveal. Very surprising. Did you like this episode, Ben? I like this episode. I will confess, I watched it at 5 a.m. Oh, you're jet lagged, aren't you? Yeah, I'm jet lagged and sick. So, damn, you're sick lagged. You know, I think uh, ever since COVID, the level of like niceness about being sick in the house has gone way down. And it's now like go out and sit in your fucking office and think about what you did. <laughs> wow. So we're not even testing at home. You're just sleeping out in the outbuilding. I tested. Yeah? I tested neg. <laughs> not good enough. Not good enough. <laughs> you sleep outside. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like you had a great vacation with the wife and kid, huh? It's totally great. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, Ben. So fucking relaxing. I really feel for you, dude. I make fun because it is my love language, but... Uh, <laughs> Jeez. I was glad to have this episode to to cheer me up, but I wasn't in like the greatest of moods while I watched it. Wow. Well, I I hope the uh, the doing of the episode helped. Yeah, me too. What did you think of this one, Ben? I was upset by the main takeaway of this thing, which is the risk defangment of being a person in Starfleet. Like, that you could ascend in rank to the point of immortality? Mm -hmm. I think that is a dangerous idea if you're creating Star Trek shows. And I wish that was not so much of a storyline here. Like, 
I think that breaks a lot of stories and the risks inherent yeah. in a lot of them. Like, I don't want to have this running in the background where the dangers aren't really dangerous because Dr. Katz can just wake you back up in the end. Like, it's fun and funny when it's rare. It hit especially hard when it was Shaq's. But if you were to go back and watch the Death of Shaq's episode, knowing how easy, free, and convenient it is to get the medical care that you require uh, after dying, mm -hmm. like, I don't think that hits as hard as it did. And I don't like retroactively feeling that way about death in Star Trek. Like, I think the stakes should still mean something. Yeah. And I, I still think it's hilarious to fight three faceless fathers on a black mountain and like <laughs> all of it. Like the legend of death in Star Trek is great. But boy, I hope they pull back a little more on reviving dead folks in this show. So it means something when yeah. people go or, or when danger is apparent. That's my main takeaway here. I mean, fine episode. So what you're calling for is for them to kill off one of our favorite characters on Lower Decks just to like show us that it can be done. As usual, I've used way too many words to say a thing that you're able to say succinctly. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, yeah who's it going to be? Mm. Somehow I'm hoping it's just rock talk. <laughs> Jesus. You know what? If rock talk was around during the Moopsie episode, you could just drop her teeth all around. That would have helped. Oh, yeah. That would have been great for everyone. Moopsie. Well, do you want to see if there's anything in the Priority One inbox for us to kill off, Adam? Well, Ben, I certainly don't have that spreadsheet open. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get over there and make it so. It's too early in the morning to have a spreadsheet open before we start recording. Come on. I know. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. All right, Ben, we've got two Priority One messages here. The first one is from your brother, Steven. Did you know you had a brother, Stephen? It's my brother, Stephen? It is to Sam Pye. That message goes like this. To my brother, Sam, wishing you the happiest of birthdays. Thank you for being the Cybok to my Spock. Whoa. <laughs> the Wharf to my Kern. Wow. And the Lore to my Data. <laughs> that is a combination. So, so check this out. Your brother, Stephen, is... A combination of Spock, Kern, and Data? <laughs> the mind reels. <laughs> Have a great day and live long and prosper. Steven, P.S. Thanks for being the best man at my wedding this August. Wow. Congratulations, Steven, on getting married. And uh, happy birthday to Sam. The brother's pie. Yeah. Yeah. It's pie day all the time in that household. No kidding. But what Stephen has told us is that Sam is a combination of Cybok, Worf, and Lore. It's a hell of a combination. Yeah. Just impossible to do the four-dimensional chess of understanding. Sam sounds like a very chaotic best man. Yeah. <laughs> well, Adam, our next priority one message is from Master Blaster, and it's to FODs everywhere. It goes like this. We thought chemo and radiation eight years ago benched all my swimmers. But what my theory presupposes is the dick and fart jokes of TGG got me blasting fully loaded ropes again. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. 
parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Wow. Now we just need Dr. Bashir to confirm the result. Must have been some mix-up. Wow. So, so Master Blaster sounds like maybe uh, participated in conception. <laughs> this person just wrote a priority one in to brag about doing it. You know, one of the most hilarious things to happen out in London was like after the show, after the London show, we did a, an impromptu meet and greet outside. And uh, one of the FODs there rolled up with a yellowish beverage and was like, look, I'm drinking a rope master. (laughs) (laughs) Rope masters have crossed the pond. Amazing. It sounds like Master Blaster has uh, crossed the threshold. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, that is great, Master Blaster. Uh, Good luck to your baby mama and you. It sounds like... uh, you're heading into a great adventure of not getting a lot of sleep. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how, mu- how many episodes of Greatest Gen or Greatest Trek has Master Blaster listened to? Especially <laughs> the recent ones. Ben is a lot less coherent and funny lately. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> As always, Priority One Messages uh, supports the production of our show. You can write one for us to read at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Indeed. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. I did. There was uh, one little vignette when the planet starts to come apart that shows a group of people in a, like a, not a human figure painting class because uh, the very term <laughs> is racist. A Corsonian figure painting class, I guess you would call it. And there's a, a naked guy with with a scarf conveniently covering his junk, mm-hmm. doing the pose for all of these people with their, you know, their charcoal and their easels. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I just love the idea of being nude when the sky literally starts to fall and you have to, like, jump out of the way for a solidified cloud that crushes the platform you were standing on. There's a version of Kirk's line in Star Trek V that goes like, I always knew I would die naked. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know your life wasn't in danger when you fell off El Capitan? Easy. I wasn't naked. My junk wasn't (laughs) flapping in the wind as I fell. (laughs) I always knew I'd die naked, so I knew I'd be fine. So that guy's my Edward Larkin. How about you, Adam? I think Freeman's confidence to just do it herself is a very uh, Edward Larkin sense to have. Mm. I mean, you should ask for help if you don't know how to do something. Yeah. Or risk destroying the entire ring world. And uh, to me, I think that's Edward Larkin worthy. So No kidding. You're it, Captain Freeman. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That was a ton of fun, Adam. Why don't you uh, head over to our internal Slack and uh, see if you can dig up a warning bois that Bill has shared in the warning bois section. Uh, this is a segment on the show where we uh, shout out someone who shouted us out by posting online or posting a nice review on uh, Apple Podcasts, just helping us grow the show, helping us get the word out about what we're doing over here. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning, boys. 
An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, I've got a five-star review from Apple Podcasts here. Headline warning bois laughs ahead. Review goes like this. Be advised this podcast may result in double takes, spit takes, and hot takes. Wow. Ben Adam and Editor Wendy are the best team to give you the rundown of all the new Trek. It's not just a synopsis and a review, no. These guys were filmmakers before becoming full-time embarrassments to their families by podcasting Trek. (laughs) So you get a lot of inside baseball. Best part, they love their viewers, and you feel that in the content. Oh. Yeah. You do, don't you? You feel it big. I hope. Yeah. I hope you feel it. I love it. I love the FODs. I love making pod with you, Ben. It's the only reason we wake up early, the day after returning home from a trip to Europe. Yeah. Only reason to do anything anymore. I'm going to uh, take a little bit more of my Dayquil and... Uh, bask in the afterglow of that very nice message and this very fun episode Adam. Yeah. You know what the afterglow of every episode of Greatest Trek is? It's Wendy taking us home. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Wendy, take it away. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next Friday, Ben and Adam will be back with a recap of Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 4, Something Borrowed, Something Green. At the end of every episode of this show, we like to say thank you to the people who make it possible. First and foremost, the Max Fund members who support the show on a monthly basis. When you become a member, you get instant access to the entire back catalog of bonus content, as well as new bonus episodes every month. You can become a member at MaximumFun.org join, and we really appreciate it. We also want to thank Adam Ragusia. He composed all of the original music for this show. Check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art, and thanks to Bill Tilly for managing all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Threads, Twitter, and Mastodon. Follow those accounts and use the hashtag GreatestTrek to connect with other friends of DeSoto online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.